Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Hello to you, the beloved listener of Beyond Governance Show here at 101.9 High FM. I hope all is well despite the limitating impact of self-inflicted low shedding. A friend once said to me, a day above ground is better than a day below the ground. I found that metaphor very fascinating. I hope it will catapult your day into a positive state of mind to shed off any negative vibes, which could only depress you further. I am delighted to share this space and time with you as we continue to shine spotlight on some of the complex governance and leadership issues which which is facing by government in their role as the entrusted custodian of policy imperatives. It is customary to express our gratitude to members of the team for they are able to make this show to be delightful to your ears. On that note, let me thank Vusi Mashinga and Harrison Kayla for helping to navigate the Beyond Governance uh, show. As we move Forward, the thrust of our conversation is the quality of leadership lacuna, which emanates from a series of questionable decisions, which suggest that we score our own goals. The leadership lacuna, or gaps for that matter, in my view, are accentuated by the quality of decisions that have been taken by, uh, by government leaders as well as the state-owned enterprise leaders. These questionable decisions can only lends to one or two big questions. The first is, what happens if leadership appears to be aloof? What happens when leadership have lost the ability to read the people's mood? These big gaps or these questions begin to ask further bigger questions as to who is in charge. Does the center hold or it doesn't hold? I'm raising these point and questions at the back of some of the very controversial projects which leadership in my completely lost the plot. I will reflect on these, on reflect on these, which also would give us an opportunity just to quickly have a position in terms of what to expect from the state of the nation's address. In making sense of this very interesting conversation around the leadership lacuna, and quality of decisions that we've seen from a number of instances. I'm joined by Son Mulobi, who is the former, uh, former South African Consul General to Milan, and now the Group CEO at Brand Hill Africa. Brasol, thank you very much, and welcome once again to Beyond Governance. Hello, Dr. Mbele, and my greetings to High FM listeners. It is always a pleasure to have you, sir. Um, the first, the very first question that I have in mind is, do we, do we score our own, do we score goals against ourselves or do we have our own, do we have self-inflicting pains or goals that we're scoring? Are we shooting ourselves on the foot and expect to run from the quality of decision that you have picked up 
Yes, we we do is exactly that. The president has spoken about the renewal, which goes beyond the organizational renewal, but also the renewal and rebuilding of a new morality in the country. Post the Zondo Commission, we were expecting our government to to be more conscientious, but also to respect good governance principles. And unfortunately, we still have uh, pockets of, of dissent uh, within the entire public service system. And I would say the purported deal which was negotiated by SA Tourism is one of those worrying tendencies that we need to take on and make sure that we destroy them as they emerge. For me, it takes me back to, I think it was what uh, Gramsci spoke about, saying that the new are struggling to be born as the old are refusing to die during this interregnum. So indeed, it is up to us as voices of reason that we have to condemn any signs of the old refusing to die so that ultimately we could be able to inculcate a new culture of good governance or of service to the people and the kind of culture which will put South Africa on a developmental path, especially in the context of the crisis that the world globally is facing. Thank you very much. I'm glad you raised the issue around the Zondo Commission, as well as the the recently controversial issue about the sponsorship with one of the European countries, certain hotspots to be more precise. But we'll get to that. Perhaps maybe let's look at the chronology of some of the questionable decisions that suggest that the quality of our leadership is found wanting. I want your views on PRASA. We know at some point PRASA has been on a spotlight and it continues to be on a spotlight. But the point that I want to elevate here is the the procurement of after 4,000 trains that was bought from Spain at the cost of a whooping 3.5 billion rands. And those trains were set to be higher than the rail lanes. We, you might recall, we bought about 70 locomotives, of which 13 were sort of delivered in the country at the cost of about 600 million. And we were warned about the heights of those locomotives. And unfortunately, nothing has happened. We ought to have learned quite a bit from that kind of a very costly um, exercise. We suggest that we do not do due diligence. We suggest that we place people who were not competent in making those kinds of quality decisions. First and foremost, your observation from that, and if at all, have we learned anything from PRASA in terms of the kind of expenditure that we've incurred, of which did not fit the purpose? Indeed, the PRASA incident happened during those nine years that President Cyril Ramaphosa has described as a wasted period. It was during that time that our state security machinery was highly compromised. And that is why Prasa couldn't even do due diligence during their recruitment process. 
because later on evidence surfaced that the executive who was responsible for procuring those locomotives uh, who claimed to have a PhD uh, didn't actually have such a qualification. And then we also heard from the Zondo Commission all the corporate governance lapses that were basically the order of the day at Prasa. And as a result, the country has has lost billions of friends, which unfortunately we require desperately to turn around this country. And for me, the most unfortunate thing is that most of the people who enabled state capture to take place in our state-owned entities, up until today, if you follow their posts in social media, they are still in denial. And then unfortunately, then you also have some other people in the ruling party itself still singing a song, what has the former president done? You know, when he goes through all these legal challenges that he is facing. So for me, you have those people who enabled state capture still being in denial or deliberately refusing to see they have collapsed our economy. Therefore, they have compromised our country as a whole. And that's why we find ourselves in this serious um, crisis as a country. Absolutely. Um, one of the critical issues that you're pointing out is how the last, the, the past 10 years was, were defined as the most um, years which could be characterized as fruitless and wasteful expenditure and, and just blatant corruption. And you, you hit it on the nail because Tuduman Tonsala, in one of the findings was that at Prasa, they had lost about 2.8 billion rands resulting to impropriety of awarding of tenders. You could just see the quality of decisions then were self-saving. These are not quality of decisions that were in the best interest of the country. Let's take a quick uh, break. We'll come back in a second just to explore a bit more on the quality of the decisions that have seen and whether we are likely to manage those kind of decisions moving forward. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point, it is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. This is Beyond Governance. We are having a very interesting and complex conversation with Solomon Obi, a former consul general to Milan, and now the group CEO at Brand in Africa. The question that I'm posting to say um, to Saul is why is it that South African leadership seems to be always shooting uh, themselves on the foot? Why is it always that we score our own goals and, and we are beginning to wonder why we have lost the competitive edge, why we are no longer where we used to be, and we continuously we continuously are on a downward spiral. Before we, before we took that break, Saul made a very interesting observation 
particularly around, around the Prasa issue. One would have argued or anticipated that based on Prasa, we would have learned certain important decision-making processes or at least validation of critical decision-making processes. The reason why I'm asking this question, and again, I'm juxtaposing that lesson that we failed to realize with yet another controversial project. You might recall uh, in 2020, in, in 2021, the Department of Arts and Culture went on spending spree. They procured a 22 million rands monumental flag, which was initiated by, by the minister. And that also created an uproar and to a point where the president had to can it. One would have imagined that, and again, that was perceived to be very insensitive during COVID when the arts and, arts and culture fraternity, people had lost their livelihoods. And here we are building or procuring a monument to an amount of 22 million rands, of which that money could have been best spent in addressing the daily grind of art and culture fraternity. What makes you to think, I suppose the question is, why are we persisting in this trajectory of not wanting to learn in terms of judging the mood of the people and being able to make decisions which are supposedly in the best interest of the people? Your take on that? Our main problem in this country is greed because, for instance, if you look at the latest controversy, then you also get reports that actually one of the officials had links with the agency that facilitated this deal. And for me, it goes back to your opening salvo that unfortunately we don't learn from our own mistakes. Under normal circumstances in a normal society, one was to say that after all the revelations at the Zondo Commission, there wouldn't be any executive in the public sector who who will do uh, such blunders. But unfortunately, yes, we still see this uh, happening. But all in all, I would say I'm quite positive that the will of justice will turn around. But also I must give credit to the fourth estate, um, the role that the media is playing in exposing all these shenanigans. And the independence of our media is one source of our pride when we speak to colleagues and friends from African countries to say that with us we are able to can malfeasance due to a large extent that the media role is playing in terms of exposing um, uh, this, this, this corruption. So for me, I would say um, I'm still positive. Also looking at the all overwhelming support that President Cyril Ramaphosa has received at the ruling party's elective conference in December. And it means then now he has to be extremely decisive because he's truly in power. His views have to prevail without him having to consult with each and every person who represents conflicting interests within the ruling party. Because do remember, the ruling party itself defines uh, itself as a church, as an omnibus. 
But in this instance, I'll say the center is holding not only South Africans, but the whole world is looking at him taking drastic, decisive decisions to ensure that um, he puts South Africa on a developmental path. No, no, thank you very much for that observation, Saul. But I just want to quickly go back to the point that you've raised about you begin to see justice and the extent to which media has been positive in exposing the shenanigans. And basically, you're saying media has been our pride uh, when you compare to how other African countries continue to be downtrodden purely because media does not enjoy the same level of independence that it's been enjoyed in South Africa. That much I agree with you. And you also alluded to the fact that the, con- the continuation of these kinds of malfeasance are as a result of greed. Essentially, so many people, some of the leaders who continue with these kinds of questionable decisions, the motive is become very clear. The motive is not so much about what is in the best interest of the country, but in what is my best interest or sectoral, um, sectoral interest. But let's just park that for a while and say, at the face value, the 910 million rands which South African wanted to sponsor Tottenham Hotspurs, the kind of explanation that you've received, the kind of justification that you've, see, that you've received, because ordinarily the board members, who some of them have, have resigned, we begin to ask ourselves questions as to why did they resign when these critical questions were being raised. But bottom line is, is there any merit whatsoever about the sponsorship that was being envisaged to the tune of about the billion grants for Tottenham Hotspurs. Let me commend the, the three board members who, who have stepped down. And I think the decision was motivated by the outcome of, of the Zondo Commission. If you remember the proceedings there, some directors of state-owned entities were held accountable. The discussions were very uncomfortable for them. And beyond that, then, there was also an outer case against a former chairperson of SAA who was then taken to court and was declared a delinquent director. Now, for that reason, then, every director has to make sure that they comply with the prescripts of the King Code on Corporate Governance. Because if you neglect your fiduciary responsibilities, there will be consequences. In fact, if we look at our case study, there was also that case of three directors of a mine, two executive, one non-executive who was the chairperson, who stripped the, the, the mine of its asset. And as a result, they disadvantage their employees. And then when the rescue operators came in, they opened the case and the chairperson of the board indicated that he wasn't executive. He didn't play any executive role, so he couldn't be held accountable. But the court still held him accountable to say, he had fiduciary responsibility to ensure that the assets of the company were not stolen. So this is very, very good. I, I agree with this approach. More especially that if you look at the King Code on corporate governance, it's from 
one of our own in this country, and it's applied and adopted by many countries across uh, the world, and which means that we have to be its custodians as South Africans. Therefore, we have to be held accountable if we are appointed as directors, even non-executive directors in, in the various institutions. So they had to go. But the deal itself was highly flawed in the sense that um, their argument was that Rwanda is doing it, Abu Dhabi is doing it, and Malta is doing it. Therefore, we should also do it. And our argument is that brand South Africa's equity in the UK uh, is extremely high. You look at our historical ties with the UK and the fact that uh, the UK has always been our second biggest source market for tourism after the the U.S. The other thing is that historically we have had major events promoting South Africa in the U.K. Just recently, the president uh, undertook a state visit to to the U.K., becoming the first head of state to undertake a state visit to uh, King Charles. And then if you go back, remember uh, Prime Minister Theresa, uh, after she was elected, her first state visit was to South Africa. And then Prime Minister Sunak, the current one, uh, met with President uh, Cyril Ramaphosa at the G20, and he became the first head of state that he met at the G20. So we are doing very well in the UK. We don't need to spend one billion rand on on attracting um, uh, tourists from the UK. But the other thing is that my take is that if you are given a, a one billion as your budget, it could be cost effective if instead of attaching this whole budget on one team, then you spread it across all the soccer teams in the English Premier League and you do simply stadium advertising. You are not attached to the followers of one team and its uh, and its opponents, but you are now reaching out to to many more, and you are not linked to a three-year contract, so that ultimately when things change, uh, you 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 are not held liable to continue carrying the cost of of servicing the brand ambassadorship. Malta can afford to do that because it's an obscure country. Not many people know that there's such a country called uh, Malta. Abu Dhabi has to do that because it is overshadowed by Dubai. Most of us, when we think about UAE, we think Dubai. We don't think Abu Dhabi. Rwanda is doing it uh, because that country's brand is always associated with the genocide that took place uh, uh, be- between during the strife between the Hutus and the Tutsis. But again, if you look at their return on investment, they are losing. They are giving the team $13 million. If you look at their total tourism revenue, which is only sitting at, at, at $6 million. So already you can see that they are making a loss. But what's even more worrying, even during the lockdown, when there weren't any soccer played in Stadia, they continued to pay the $13 million to their brand, brand ambassadors. There is no return on investment. So we have to avoid yeah, taking this route.
Absolutely. Um, you've made a number of interesting points which I want to debunk as soon as you come back from the short break. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point, it is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. In South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. This is Beyond Governance. I'm joined by Sam Lobby. The thrust of our conversation is quality of leadership, uh, which is expressed by the kind of decision which has been taken. Before we, into, we went to that break, we were putting a spotlight on, you know, the deal which is now going to be cancelled, the deal of supporting Tottenham Hotspurs at the cost of 910 million rates, almost like a billion rates. So before we took that break, he, he said to us, first and foremost, that he applauded the directors that, you know, call it a quits, the directors that resigned purely because they understood that finally they, as the accounting authority, difficult questions were going to be asked to them. And based on the precedent which you have noticed via the Zondo Commission, there are a number of instances where directors who failed to act in the best interest of the company, who failed to be diligent, who failed to put the best interest of those companies at heart, we, 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 we somehow being called to question or, or being called to answer. So there seems to be a positive movement, which is based on the resignation of the three directors uh, from the tour in the essay. So according to Saul, there seems to be a very positive suggestion or a positive movement. He also began to question the extent to which the sponsorship would any material value. Uh, and he basically saying the justification of the of of the deal was flawed in the sense that SA tourism compared or or used Rwanda, UAE and Malta um as the basis for making that particular decision. And and I agree with you so it was flawed purely because South Africa has a very strong history with UK. And the kinds of classical example that you provided I can only agree with. I mean you know, the all the prime ministers from Margaret Thatcher as back as then, you know, uh, Tony Blair, Theresa, were all at some point in South Africa. And because of the historical uh, uh, the historical network or relationship which the country has, there's no need to spend that kind of money um, as if South Africa is, is the smallest wonder. And again, one of the biggest highlight that you've reflected on is the president. South Africa was the first country to be invited uh, by King Charles. And and that on its own has received so much attention. Pretty much the whole of UK and Europe have seen that particular uh, engagement, which means there was absolutely no reason or basis uh, to 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 have that kind of, of of investment, particularly when you compared with how Rwanda lost out. I mean, you've made a very good point that Rwanda, uh, the return on investments 
were far less. They spent 13 million rands and they seem to have, you know, earned about 6 million rands worth of, 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 of their sweat. So surely, um, these are some of the issues which makes this deal highly questionable. And the fact that it's not going to be scrapped or there's a clear indication that it's not going to be allowed does suggest that the media is making a very uh, useful or is playing a very important role in highlighting these kind of issues. But as we proceed on this very topic, we are you investigating to see more and more of these lessons filtering to boards of SOEs to, to senior executives because people are now beginning to think differently and critically and hard about the kinds of the decisions which they want to be associated with or decisions which they do not want to be associated with. Is this a kind of needle or, or, or situation that, you, that you're seeing in future? Because we are also talking about leadership, there's one very important uh, point that uh, the media and, and commentators generally didn't focus on. Um, the issue of structural integration between SA Tourism and Brand SA. We have two uh, destination marketing uh, organizations, SA Tourism, which, which reports into the Department of Tourism, and we have Brand SA, which reports into the presidency. A pronouncement was made last year that in line with a decision to rationalize state-owned entities, these two bodies were going to be meshed into one. And that's why for many months they didn't appoint full-time CEOs. Now, if the merger may happen this year, why why should SA Tourism be in a rush to sign a three-year deal instead of saying, Let's wait for the merger to happen. And once a new entity has been established, so that entity will then embark on projects of this nature. And by the way, it is also very possible that the new entity will not report into the Department of Tourism, but will report into the presidency. And this is best practice because... If you look at all the the destination marketing um, um, agencies, that that looks beyond just tourism, but also looks at 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 at, at investment promotion. They are located uh, within the presidency, so that ultimately they can have an influence of, over all government departments. And with us, we also looked at the fact that the presidency has established an investment and infrastructure office. So this already tells us that the, the new entity will continue reporting into, into the presidency as Brent SA is doing. So now, why suddenly SA Tourism wants to, to, to enter into a three-year deal instead of waiting for the new entity to come up with their own priorities and to embark on projects of this nature. Interesting observation. Uh, on the same line, so the word on the street is that they wanted, th- there was almost an anticipation that the the current minister of tourism, uh, uh, Sisulu, is likely to be reshuffled. And on that basis, they 
uh, ASEAN tourism wanted to push the deal and get its sign off so that in an event that uh, Lindy Wessisule is moved uh, from cabinet, that decision would have been taken. What's your take on those kinds of observations? I have worked in the public sector for, for 20 years, and I also know that there is this uh, unwritten rule towards the elections, key positions in government, like your, your, your director general or your, your CEO of a state-owned entity. They wouldn't be filled pending the outcome of the elections and also the reconstitution of a cabinet. Because as a minister, you are not guaranteed that you, you will be returned to your portfolio. So for that reason, you wouldn't appoint a, a, a director general uh, three or six months before the, the elections. So similarly, I would say as a minister or sorry, uh, as, as a director general or CEO of a state owned entity, you, you wouldn't embark on a long term project whilst you know that um, it, there could be major changes uh, in the next uh, two to three months. Now, even in this instance, SA Tourism doesn't have a full-time CEO. He is in an acting capacity. So for that reason, and then there is this general talk, and even the president and the secretary general of the ruling party have confirmed that uh, in the next week or two or three, there could be cabinet reshuffle. So according to this unwritten rule, I'll say there wouldn't be any major uh, changes in departments or state-owned entities because people are not guaranteed their positions post the the, the cabinet reshuffle. No, I mean, I couldn't agree with you, mate. I mean, that's, that's a no because... You can't impose new personnel, you know, if, say, for example, tourism is going to be manned by a different minister, that minister needs to have, um, you know, at least a, a line of sight in recruiting a DG that she was likely to work with. Um, and so that there's that synergy between the two. So I agree with you. It makes it very difficult when uh, appointments are going to be imposed of the new leadership because the new leadership, they've got their own different styles and they have different ethos and preferences, which makes it very questionable as to why this particular deal was pushed. The minister, especially we heard that she distanced herself from it until it became real that, look, um, the, the, board, the SA Tourism Board does not report to her directly. That's what we've picked up from the media. But still, there's that dotted line. The the Asia tourism would not go ahead with that kind of major capital expenditure without an endorsement of the minister. Your take on that? Yeah. Look, um, I'm going to be to sound very note. Look, um, a an agency of 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 government which reports into a particular ministry does very well. Usually, the minister will take credit. For instance, uh, we have just had a, a trio of, of South African musicians who have just won a Grammy. And we had our Department of Arts and Culture 
also taking credit for that. But now, um, when there are problems within departments, the minister as the as the accounting officer should also take full responsibility. In fact, I will tell you in one country uh, where I lived for four and a half years in in Italy uh, uh, as a diplomat, they have a professional public service, something that we don't have in in South in in South Africa and many other countries during elections. Uh, Italy, you have two main contenders. You have the center-left coalition and the center-right coalition. So a director general, as an example, will have the, the two manifestos on his desk. As soon as one, uh, one of the two win, then he throws the manifesto of the losing party into, <laughs> into the dustbin and they start implementing that. And they will perfect the two manifestos so that by the time one coalition takes over, they are, they are ready to implement those. But here's the thing. It, they are so good that they don't even allow a minister to have an office in the same building as a department they are leading. So this is how they, they bring in this uh, delineation mm-hmm. between the ministry and, and, and a department. But also that's why, because Italy doesn't have a, a government that will last for more than two years. And, and that's why even though a, a, a coalition government will collapse within two years, it doesn't impact on service delivery because the public service is professional, is not attached to a particular political party. And this is what former President Kalema Mutlande has been uh, advocating for, that we need to begin to professionalize our public service. And I know the Public Service Commission made pronouncements on this in the past few weeks to say they also need to be involved in the recruitment of public servants so that they could be sure that uh, the people who are who are appointed in the senior management service are competent and they will be able to carry out the mandate of of government on that note uh, let's take a quick break we'll come back in a second Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is a time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. In South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. This is Beyond Governance. We have been a very fascinating conversation with Solomon Lobby on some of the questionable decisions that uh, government leaders are taking uh, the context, well, before we took that break, he was making us, he was giving us a very good sense of 
some of the controversies surrounding SA Tourism and, and SA uh, Brand SA, these are the entities which um, are targeted to manage. However, SA Tourism seems to have moved ahead. And the question that I wanted him to respond to is, uh, you know, why is the Minister of uh, Tourism distancing itself from this particular issue? Because we know that uh, often these kinds of uh, big assignment, the big deals uh, would have an endorsement from the minister, uh, but it's quite interesting how Sol, you know, responded to that particular issue. The last point that you raised, Sol, which is quite pertinent, and and it's almost like the buzzword in the public sector, and I'm sure the the president is going to talk about it. This has been on the table for a very long time. It, that is that of professionalizing professionalizing public sector. Because it's, it's, it's a very big thing and of course we understand what it means, but, um, the, to get there is another big story. But personally, let's pack that because this will require a, a very detailed conversation on its own because one has to look at the, the skill sets that is required. One has to look at the, let me just put it this way. It will require a very uh, deliberate template which has been used, which means that the skill sets, the competence, the experience, um, and and the recruitment processes, and who sits in those particular spaces. Um, one issue that Alan Cook raised not so long ago is is he he you know underscored the importance of government having to move away from you know nominating or even sitting in the panel of um, uh, uh, interviews for ESCO. Said you government has no expertise, experience whatsoever in that particular space. So, in as much as government is the shareholder, uh, it obviously may have to nominate. But that particular process of of appointing the CEO, it must be led by the board, because eventually the CEO is, is reports to the board. So, those are some of the issues that part of the professional public sector would look at in a much more detail. But I suggest that we pack this for now um, and, and, and you know, get to the point that I, I promised the listener when we started, is that of where are we now as we gravitate towards the end? We know that the, uh, the, the, the Intercontinental Free Trade Agreement has been operationalized um, and there's been a lot of um, you know, low-hanging fruits that are beginning to, to, to match. Could you just give us high-level snippets of what is emerging in terms of where are we in operationalizing the free trade agreement? Yes, uh, I would say since we started operationalizing the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement on 1 January 2021, uh, a lot has been achieved in these two years. Uh, right now, we have 44 countries out of the 55 EU member states which have already ratified the, the agreement. And then we have two more which could be ratifying it in the next few weeks because they have already submitted their modalities for the operationalization of the of the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement in their own country. So we could be looking at, at, at 46. Yes, uh, 11 still have to, to, ratif- to, to, to ratify it. Sorry, 10 still have to ratify it. And one still has to sign and ratify it. And 
the one in our, this one in our family is 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 Eritrea. But also, what is important is that the 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 secretariat also launched what we call the facilitated and guided trade initiative. Uh, this is a pilot study of eight countries: Ghana, Kenya, Rwanda, Tanzania, Cameroon, Egypt, Mauritius, to 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 fully implement the agreement. And lessons from this study will then identify all the challenges that need to be to be addressed before full operationalization. But the good news again uh, is that the second phase of the negotiations on the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement had five issues that were being discussed. The first one was uh, a competition protocol to say, whilst we are integrated into one common market, how do we manage uh, competition amongst amongst countries? This protocol has been agreed to and is going to be tabled on the 18th and 19th of February, which is next week, to the AU Heads of State and Government Assembly for, for, for uh, ratification. The second one was looking at uh, investment promotion and, and protection uh, protocol for the entire continent. Uh, agreement has been reached and is going to be ratified by, by, the, by the assembly next week. We should also remember that um, just in December, Kenya went ahead and negotiated an investment uh, agreement with the U.S., and the East African community lodged a complaint uh, in the courts, and the courts nullified this agreement because one country in a regional economic community has to make sure that when they negotiate any bilateral investment agreement with any foreign country, they have to speak to other member states in that regional economic community because it will impact on, on them. Which is also which is very good, and the other protocol which has been negotiated is on intellectual uh, property. This explains also why the president in South Africa has been sitting on the amendments to our corporate, uh, copyright act uh, for many months. He couldn't sign them into law, pending the the, the intellectual uh, property. Uh, protocol being agreed to at continental level. Anyway, what baffles me is that why didn't government communicate this to to all of us? Because there were lobby groups saying that the president needs to sign it ASAP instead of government coming out to say we can't sign because it has to be within the the framework of the continental um intellectual property protocol. So my take is that um, uh, post the, the, the assembly, then the president may be able to sign it if indeed it, com- it complies with, with, with the prescript as agreed to at the a- AU level. Another interesting development was the Africa Trade Observatory, uh, which is a trade information portal to facilitate intra-African trade and to support uh, the rollout of the of the agreement. And another one, uh, the Secretariat launched the 
the, the AFCFTA online mechanism for reporting, monitoring, and elimination of non-trade barriers. And the big one is the launch of the Pan-African Payment and Settlement System, uh, which facilitates um, cross-border financial uh, transactions. So this one is key because it is saving Africa over 5 billion US dollars in transactional fees because right now, um, if I order anything from any African country, the medium of transaction will no longer be a US dollar, but it will be in my rent and then my through our reserve bank and the reserve bank of the country where I'm ordering from. Then they will convert it into local uh, currency. So this Absolutely. is a very good one for, for the consumers across the continent. So uh, the agreement is doing very well in terms of boosting intra-African trade. Laura, thanks very much for sharing with us, uh, Saul, because this is uh, something that we only, as, as South Africans and Africans, we need to put our eyes on um, all the time. Uh, I mean, some of the very interesting protocols that you've related to, I mean, competition protocol, that's very, very quite key, and I agree with you. Investment protocol, that's very, very key. The investment, the, uh, the, the international property protocol, which the president um, hasn't really signed and, and is about to sign, is quite, quite key. And the other protocol that you, you referred to is that of African Trade Observatory that, you know, puts together of the reporting framework in terms of where combat, where, where each country are. The last one you raised is that, uh, is the Pan African payment system, which, which, which ensures that payment is not in the, you know, it's not dollarized essentially. And payment system is, is banned or the transaction recognize the currency of the originator, not so much about using a different currency. So these are, these seem to be very interesting, um, points that we begin to see as South Africans and Africans that there is a bit of traction in operationalizing the free trade agreement. This is something that we obviously have to keep our eyes on from time to time because we owe it to the country, owe it to the continent, so that we begin to communicate these kinds of progress, um, which, which would ensure that you know, Africa become the greatest market, um, as has been indicated. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it here. So thank you very much for your insights on these very complex issues that we're trying to unravel. Thank you for having me, my good doctor. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Saul. Uh, there you are, that's Saul Mulobi, who is the Group Executive Director at, or C- Group CEO at Brand Hill Africa, giving us very, his, um, you know, thought-provoking insights and observations based on the leadership quality that we've seen and also based on the operationalization of our free, of the continental free trade agreement. Uh, and, and there, there are a number of pockets of excellence that are beginning to, to emerge. And these are obviously issues that we from time to time need to reflect on so that we keep you abreast. Uh, because there are a lot of investment opportunities that comes with operationalization of the free trade agreement. Let's do it. Let's stop it here and give other folks an, an opportunity.
It has been absolutely a pleasure to have you. Let's do this again next week. Shalom. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making.